there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, welcome to Your Politics. I'm Anya Lawler, joined by the RTE political team for our take on what's been going on here in Leinster House. We were with you, of course, uh, on Budget Night, uh, talking about all things budget. And uh, joining me today, Sandra Harley, Tommy Meskell, Mary Regan's on the line, and we're going to talk about um, the post-budget fallout. And I suppose, uh, Sandra, when, you know, what's Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, to make of the fact that Sinn Féin was almost feeling sorry for him in the Doyle today? talking about a minister who'd been hung out to dry with his budget allocation for next year. What's going on? Yeah, I think a lot of political focus on the shortfall that's expected in the health budget next year because we know that the Secretary General, Robert Watt, told the committee last week that they were looking for two billion in extra funding to fund to deal with the demographic pressures and inflation and all the rest of it to maintain existing services next year. They got 708 million. There is a massive shortfall there. And we haven't yet seen the uh, the system deal fully with the shortfall for this year, the 1.1 billion. We're expecting a supplementary estimate probably in December, very much at the end of the year to deal for that. But the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, very clearly stating in his post-budget press conference that there's going to be a shortfall next year. It's going to be bigger mm-hmm. than the one uh, that they've had this year. So they're starting in a really poor position. They're not going to be able to fund any new drugs, any new treatments. So the difficulty will simply be in maintaining existing services. He's been out again today at the Oireachtas Health Committee outlining what a challenge that is going to be. So there's a big political focus on that. Sinn Féin majoring on it at Leaders' Questions today uh, and saying that it, it is a total disaster and it, that health was just simply left out of the whole budget reckoning. And we're heading into the winter season. We know the pressure that always brings on the health service and consequently the political fallout. So is there a sense that behind the scenes, you know, the Department of Public Spending, they're, they're still trying to find a way to get control of these costs in health. And the difficulty there, as the House Committee has heard before, Tommy, I think two thirds of the increase, it's population growth and inflation. One third you might put down to cost control in hospitals in particular. Yeah, Bernard Gloucester, head of the HSE, would make that point. I think that it's more so that the budget being allocated to health perhaps isn't correct and it needs to be higher. Stephen Donnelly, the minister, making the point during his Budget press conference yesterday mm-hmm. uh, that Ireland, in comparison to other EUs, actually per person does not spend a whole lot in on health. In comparison to other countries, is still obviously an awful lot. Uh, but also making the point to the minister saying that that waiting lists are still too high and actually uh, overspending to stand still isn't good enough that they need to, to bring these down. In the context as well of, you know, only a few weeks ago we were t- talking about orthopaedic care, the difficulties there, the need to tackle waiting lists to improve aftercare. I mean, n- none of that stuff goes away. Uh, so it's going to be a difficult year for health, I think. Because overall, I mean, 14 billion, it was a huge, huge budget spend. So. You know, there haven't been as many pitfalls have there, Mary, and politically as there would be uh, normally from a budget. But that one is the one that's standing out at the moment, is it? No, like certainly in the immediate uh, aftermath, there were no p- pitfalls whatsoever to speak of. You know, this was a sort of very political 
budget sort of very carefully crafted to appeal to uh, various uh, constituents of the electorate, you know, and, you know, could in that sense really be seen as a pre-election budget, even though uh, we don't know if this will be the last, certainly probably the second last ahead of the next general election. So it was a politically safe budget from that perspective, but I suppose the difficulty in having a sort of safe and steady and incremental type of budget is that it left itself open to criticism then over the lack of ideas. Um, I think it was Gary Murphy in the Daily Mail wrote that this was a, a tinkering budget rather than a thinking budget. So it was storing up problems and papering over, you know, the deeper um, cracks really in, in the area of housing uh, and certainly in the area of health, as you discussed there. These are still big issues that yeah. will dominate in the run-up to any election, regardless of how uh, much extra people might have as a re result of, you know, various welfare payments or various uh, income tax cuts. Yes, and although I'm sure Michael McGrath and Pascal Dunn, who would argue uh, very vehemently that the big idea and the big new idea in the budget, of course, are these climate funds and, and these uh, this long-term uh, sovereign wealth fund that they're setting up with the corporate taxation surplus. But you mentioned housing there, Mary. Uh, Sinn Féin uh, dubbing this a landlord's budget. And in the questioning that was going on to the finance ministers afterwards, uh, the targeted mortgage interest relief is a, a bit of a pitfall there, maybe, Sandra? Yeah, I think that is one that is vulnerable to being changed over the next while. And ministers really hate going back and giving into pressure over a particular measure. But they had promised a very targeted measure. It's not especially targeted. There's a few criteria about how much you have left outstanding on your mortgage, but it's for people on a variable or a tracker mortgage who've been hit by recent interest rate hikes. But a lot of people saying it's unfair if you've been on a, a fixed rate and you've just come off, you're not going to get it. Tracker mortgage holders benefited for a long time. That was an argument that the senior members of government have been trying to make when they were fending this off for a long time. They did give in to it at the end, but I see it as something that could be reopened into the future. Yeah, what do you think, Tommy? What were the opposition saying about this one? Yeah, well, one point that Sinn Féin was critical of is the fact that if, if you had less than 80,000 left on the mortgage that you wouldn't qualify. And, and perhaps maybe we, we might see some change in that before it's legislated, uh, but it remains to be seen. Sinn Féin felt uh, that it wasn't fair. Um, th there was a point at which, ahead of this budget, where we thought that it, this would be a, a social protection measure that Heather Humphreys would be administering yes. this. That seemed to change. I'm not sure why exactly it changed there, but it seems that they were going to be very targeted in this measure. Uh, at, at some point, uh, that changed. It, perhaps it, it was more broad, uh, but, but that was an interesting shift. The other area um, where there was some controversy was the issue of the defence allocation, wasn't there? Carol Berry uh, talking directly to uh, Tánish de Michal Martin, who's the defence minister, uh, when he was in the, the chamber about that. That's something we're likely to hear more of, isn't it, with the Commission on the Defence Forces uh, report and their recommendations there to be implemented. And given the world we live in, of course, defence uh, is becoming an ever more pressing topic. It was striking, I think it was on the week in politics, Cahal Berry was talking about uh, that operation off the coast of Ireland and almost the kind of haphazard way in some ways it was put together. It was obviously a successful operation, but due to constraints on budgets and resources and so on. The, the one naval of, vessel, yeah. one borrowed helicopter, there should have been two. And, so, and of course, the naval and defence staff being on different allowances, lower pay and allowances than their, their Garda counterparts. Yeah, big issues to tackle in that regard, yeah. Uh, politically, Mary, the budget, and of course this was, uh, and Michael McGrath was asked about this actually and spoke, um, spoke 
very personally about this. The first Fianna Fáil minister uh, since Brian Lenehan uh, produced uh, a budget and of course times then uh, very, very different to, you know, a minister standing up with 14 billion euro uh, in largesse. Yeah, and you could sense in the dole, certainly the night of the budget, the evening of the budget, you know, the Fianna Fáil TDs really having a sense of this, that they were, you know, back in the seat as finance minister uh, delivering a budget for them. And they were in a position that, you know, they might have thought the last time they delivered a budget that they might never be in before, because back then in 2010, they were cutting the pension at that point by, I think it was around 10 euro. And then here they are, you know, putting an increase on the pension. So there were really, really hard times, times that they were uh, recalling. And, you know, since then, I think Michael McGrath, he became opposition spokesperson on finance. Um, he was often maybe overshadowed by Pierce Doherty in his, in his op- opposition speeches on, on budget day because he, first of all, wasn't really in a position to criticise the Fine Gael Labour budgets because, you know, compared to the Fianna Fáil budgets, um, you know, they, they weren't in a strong position to criticise them. But also he sort of wanted to set himself up as a sort of alternative finance minister. He set about the task of, as he thought, you know, rebuilding Fianna Fáil's credibility in the economic area. And that was something that the party had to had to strive for, you know, if it was ever yeah. to have any sort of a future. And I think there was a feeling maybe that he had achieved that at least when he delivered his budget um, this week. And that's why there was this, you know, standing ovation after he delivered his speech, something that had gone completely out of fashion, those standing ovations after budget speeches. Um, and I think it was a reflection really of, of, of how the party felt that they they had come back. But also Fine Gael, you know, it was once upon a time um, had the task of delivering austerity budgets as well. And, you know, that party is, is in a, a much stronger position now. And they also set about the task of trying to, I suppose, um, present themselves as the party of economic prudence and stability. Mm. And that's why there were politically speaking, to, to be able to achieve both the spending uh, that they that they set out and giving different people in different parts of the, the population di- different increases, to be able to do that while at the same time saving reserves for the future, uh, that sort of twin, yeah. twin approach was something that they believe will work for them politically. Except there's a bit of a gamble built in here, Tommy, and this, of course, is that the inflation rate is going to come down. What is it they're predicting to around 3% or something next year? Yeah. We all know what's going on in the world already. You know, a bit of an uptick in inflation today. Things may not work out like that this winter. And that strong warning from IFAC that they had to stick to that spending rule, which they obviously went over. Um, and I don't think IFAC were happy after the budget either. And, and there is that risk that by doing that expansionary budget and the warnings have come from several different areas, even the Oireachtas Budget uh, Oversight Committee ha- has warned against this expansionary budget that actually you could end up harming those, the very people that you're trying to, to help in terms of, of the cost of living. IFAC, Tommy. <laughs> is Irish Irish fiscal advisory Thank you. <laughs> and just another thing on that if you look at some of the predictions now for the, the surplus next year I think it's remarkable that back six months ago the Department of Finance told us that the surplus next year would be 16 billion in the budget documents they have revised that down to 8.4 and that is an enormous drop it shows the volatility that's going on A lot of that related, of course, to the tax receipts, the corporate tax receipts. But I think it also illustrates that maybe the government next year mightn't be in such a 
fantastic position that they will at that point have legislated yeah. to provide several billion to put into those two funds that you mentioned. Maybe they won't have as much money then to play around with for a giveaway budget before an election. Of course, you know, we're all talking about budgets here, but the huge international news story uh, has been what's been happening in the Middle East uh, after the events of last Saturday morning uh, when Hamas um, invaded parts of Israel and um, 1,300, I think the death toll stands out there. Uh, Israel in response declaring war. They've been pummeling Gaza. Mary Robinson, our former president, out today talking about uh, the grave breaches of international law, a population, a whole population, uh, more than two million people without fuel, without water uh, and under sustained attack and some kind of uh, land action anticipated. And this has been playing out, Mary, hasn't it, in our politics here in home, in the reaction of different politicians and different parties to the events that have been unfolding before our eyes. Yeah, and it was quite unusual in the Dáil leaders' questions the morning after Budget Day that it took uh, a half an hour at least and four questioners into leaders' questions before the issue of the budget was raised because before that, uh, all the opposition leaders had been raising, uh, you know, wh what had what was happening um, in Israel, in Gaza. And I thought it was quite interesting that there was something close to approaching maybe a sort of consensus between the Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald and the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, um, they were certainly, you know, making similar comments around uh, condemnation and Mary Lou MacDonald saying she was condemning outright the targeting of civilians and the taking of hostages by Hamas. Um, and she was more closely aligned, I think, to the Taoiseach on that than she was to maybe other um, left-wing TDs, Richard Boyd Barish in particular. So I think the question then was, you know, whether Sinn Féin is changing its its position uh, in yet another po foreign policy area. You know, we recall that it made something of a, a journey before in its foreign policy. You know, it had often been accused of equivocating over uh, Vladimir Putin's regime and its MEPs often abstaining uh, or voting against resolutions arguing for sanctions against Russia. But of course, that all changed with the invasion of mm. Ukraine when Sinn Féin uh, deleted thousands of statements from its website saying they were out of date. So I think, you know, people are asking now whether it is changing uh, its position slightly on on on. Palestine with this outright, outright condemnation of Hamas. Of course, Mary MacDonald, you know, saying that she had previously met um, representatives of Hamas and they had spoken at, at Sinn Féin events. So is this... Yes, and Alan Shatter in particular, the, the former centre. Justice Minister as well, Mary, he was particularly critical, wasn't he, of uh, Sinn Féin's response and some Sinn Féin TDs in particular? Well, that's the other thing then, because Mary Lou MacDonald and the party leadership is sort of in a different... Uh, position to many of the party's representatives, for example, um, you know, Chris Andrews uh, certainly didn't go as far as, as as she did. You know, he didn't he didn't condemn w mm -hmm. the attack at all. And, you know, there was a changing from the, the, the statement issued by its foreign affairs spokesperson, um, McCarthy, at, um, on Saturday, I think it was, between that and then you know, Maurice Farrell and the Week in Politics and Marilyn MacDonald and the News at One because, um, you know, Matt, Matt Carthy um, said the attacks by Hamas against Israeli civilians um, 
you know, he he, he criticised them, and then you know he, he but he he stopped short of, of explicitly condemning condemning yeah. the attack. So the position changed from the Saturday uh, until the, the the Tuesday when Mary Lee Macdonald appeared on, on the news of one. And before we continue, you know, with talking about the, the language and the politics of the language about all of this, of course, it's worth remembering uh, that uh, young Irish Israeli woman, Kim Dante, uh, who was at that festival um, where the, the accounts we're hearing of, you know, what happened are just horrific. Uh, she's been confirmed dead. Uh, CNN broadcasting today um, an interview with um, an Irishman uh, Tom Hand, who was living in a kibbutz there, uh, that was attacked, uh, whose daughter Emily, his little daughter Emily, she's only eight, I think, um, she was staying over in a friend's house, so she wasn't with her family that night. And unfortunately, uh, in that house, uh, she was confirmed killed. And his reaction when that death, the news of that death was confirmed, was to say that he had to consider it a blessing because if she had been one of the people taken hostage, uh, to talk about his his fears for her. So these and at the same time, there are these awful scenes of the corpses of children lining up in Gaza, of hospitals being bombed, and a sense that this is something that's going to have a big impact on all of our lives. So getting back to this discussion, Tommy, of the politics of condemnation and the politics of flags and, you know, Ireland has skin in the game here, of course, too, because we have our UNIFIL mission on the northern border, the border with Lebanon. And again, there have been rockets backwards and forwards there with Hezbollah. So this could all, the tragedies we're watching here, they could get very much worse and so could the politics. With all these horrific images that we're seeing and that are being broadcast around the world, there there is that risk uh, of of severe escalation uh, and yeah. and concerns, deep concerns being expressed about the people of Gaza. The Taoiseach speaking about it in the Dáil yesterday, uh, condemning the actions of Hamas, but saying it is not correct to to cut off water, to cut off electricity, to cut off food. Uh, to the people of Palestine. It has been interesting as well to see Ireland just on the international stage um, at odds with other countries. And I think we saw that in, in an EU context. Uh, there was talk of, of the EU cutting aid to Palestine. Uh, Ireland, one of the countries, uh, out first to, to say that that was not the right thing to do. Uh, of course, you want to ensure that aid doesn't end up indirectly benefiting the likes of Hamas, uh, but also the, there are millions yeah. of people there that could suffer uh, in Gaza. And just one more issue on that story, because of course you're going to be um, in, in Europe next week for the Parliament meeting, uh, but Europe making a move against uh, X, I was going to say Twitter, but that's of course it's X now, uh, and Elon Musk, and this is over the amount of online misinformation that there has been. I mean, it's a big contrast, isn't it, to the start of the war in Ukraine, the kind of misinformation and you're seeing, I mean, some of it's people retweeting video games, for heaven's sakes. So that's going to be an interesting one, one to watch. You saw some of this disinformation as well, even since Saturday with, with what's going on uh, uh, in Israel uh, and the EU putting on pressure on, on Elon Musk, the, the owner of X, to, yeah. to try and sort this out. Uh, it remains to be seen what will be done on that front. Uh, just in relation to Israel as well, uh, the, the European Parliament meets for its session in Strasbourg next week uh, and they will debate this issue. It'll be interesting to see that and you'll see the differing views from different countries uh, around Europe. I think it's likely that the Irish MEPs will definitely be coming out on, on the side of, of Ireland on this point, which is to, to uh, I suppose, reflect the concerns around Palestine, right. uh, an area that many would say has faced uh, oppression for decades. 
And speaking of media matters, uh, the Public Accounts Committee this morning, uh, Sandra, just set the scene for us um, who was there for RTE and, and, and just your impression. I'll talk to, to you in more detail, Tommy, about it, but ju- just your impression of the, the tone of this meeting. Yeah, very tetchy meeting this morning and we've seen many tetchy committee meetings with RTE executives in front of them. But I think there was a real sense of frustration coming from the committee members. In front of them was the RTE Director General, Kevin Backhurst, the Interim Deputy Director General, Adrian Lynch, Head of Legal, Paula Maluli, and the Head of Human uh, Resources, Emer Cusack. And a huge amount of the meeting uh, centred on this dispute over a note taken at a meeting a meeting on May 7th, 2020. Noel Kelly was present, Dee Forbes and a solicitor from the RTE uh, legal office when RTE said that the formal guarantee was given for this underwriting of, of this Renault contract with Ryan Tuberty. RTE has declined to furnish this note. They say it's covered by legal privilege, that it contains legal advice. The committee, very much of the opposing view, it has its own legal advice that RTE should be in a position to give up this note. But again and again, committee member coming for Kevin Backhurst uh, and really confronting him uh, and demanding that the note is handing yeah. over. He maintained the RTE position. Where is this going? Well, I understand that uh, the members have now decided to s- seek extra powers of compelability to obtain the note. That will go to another Oireachtas committee. But it could well end up in the courts. And then I think it could centre on whether the view of the Oireachtas members seems to be that this isn't so much a legal note, it's simply minutes of a meeting, or to you very much of the view that it is privileged because it's legal advice. The courts would certainly take the view that if it's legal advice, they're very likely to protect that. But there may be something that hinges around the nature of the meeting. And there was an interesting exchange, wasn't there, between uh, Labour's Alan Kelly, Tommy, uh, and RTE Director General Kevin Backhurst, because uh, there had been back and forth previously about the issue of compelability and whether it would end up on the courts. And Alan Kelly made a very strong intervention there. It was quite tense at times uh, in the PAC this morning. Uh, and Alan Kelly saying to Kevin Backhurst that if the Public Accounts Committee was forced to compel uh, this letter to to go through the courts if it got that far, that he said that he felt that Kevin Backhurst's position would be untenable. Now, now Kevin Backhurst pushed back against this and said that this had been carefully considered over the summer, that his objective was to do the right thing as DG and, and that he was comfortable with his decision. You wonder, even if this letter did come to light and we don't know what's in it, but but would it change the narrative of of this controversy or are there other bigger issues at play? Because a huge part Mm. of the hearing this morning was taken up about this letter uh, and whether they could compel it or not or or should they furnish it voluntarily or not. But perhaps one of the main lines out of the the committee was the the funding crisis that RT is facing. I'll come on to that in a moment, but I I, I just want to look for clarity on this because there was a lot of backwards and forwards uh, on it. Um, RTE, through Kevin Backhurst making the point, uh, he was making the point as chief executive, he has to follow the legal advice that uh, he's given. That's what he has to uh, do about that. And it was an interesting exchange, wasn't there, after the break, when RTE said, again, Kevin Backhurst came back and said, we do not dispute Noel Kelly's version of what happened at that Zoom meeting uh, as told to this committee, uh, nor D Forbes as given in her uh, interview with Grant Thornton, which uh, her recollection can be found uh, in that report. Uh, so 
that's an interesting one, the politics of that that's got to play out. Uh, but the point the TDs were making, Sandra, I think before we leave this particular point is as far as they're concerned, and they were also asking questions about executives pay and severance deals and again, legal difficulties and GDPR. And they were saying this goes to the heart of transparency and trust. And this goes to the heart of whether we want to hand over taxpayers' money. I mean, that was the line from politicians from a number of parties, wasn't it? Yes, and I've just seen in the past few minutes a press release from Sinn Féin's Rose Conway Walsh. Now, she's not on the committee, but saying that until RTE volunteers transparency, it should not get additional funding. And that is the crux of the matter for the TDs and perhaps how they feel that this looks really bad for RTE. I spoke to one or two of them afterwards and they felt that RTE was much too confrontational on this point. RTE can choose to um, not to take the legal advice that it's given. Executives can decide what to do now. In this case, as you mentioned, Kevin Backer said they feel they have to follow this legal advice. The, an interesting point, the committee has its own legal advice from the parliamentary legal advisors saying that RTE's mm-hmm. legal advice <clears throat> is incorrect. And at one stage, Kevin Backhurst asked to see their legal advice. I don't think uh, the committee members volunteered it. And you mentioned the money, Tommy. So basically, again, the quite scary numbers. RTE will be insolvent uh, by the middle of next year. Uh, there's 20 million of the 68 million uh, cash reserves they've got left. Uh, that's probably got to be set aside for uh, to resolve the bogus self-employment tax settlements and outstanding claims, uh, as far as we understand it. Uh, So it is in a very dire financial situation. And in order to get a bailout for the government, what's got to be in the plan that the Director General is going to bring forward by the end of the month, early next month, is yeah. that the time frame? In the coming weeks, anyway, he, he'll kind of give a, a rough outline, and then a, a more detailed uh, strategy will will be unveiled. Uh, all the while, as well, you have license fee revenue, which is falling. And today, we learned at the committee as well that the overall trend is that it's going down thirty percent since this controversy broke out. Uh, but that last week, it was down thirty nine percent. So there will be pressure on Kevin Backers to to make those savings because he was telling members that the organisation is facing insolvency by spring next year Mm -hmm. if it doesn't receive further interim funding but also if he doesn't make those cost-cutting measures as well. But we we have to wait and see what those measures will be. And there's no prospect of a major sale of land at the Donnybrook campus it looks like at this stage? That seems to be more or less ruled out um, or even just uh, revamping the campus as it is, making it smaller, but revamping things. Uh, Kevin Backer is pointing out in his opening statements that that could prove very costly. So actually, perhaps not the answer that, that some thought it might be. Uh, there was some mention by some of the TDs, wasn't there, Sandra, that they had hoped this would be the last time they'd be bringing RTE executives before the Public Accounts Committee? Well, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I, I think uh, my understanding is that when this report into the exit packages come out, comes out together with the strategic review going to the minister that the PAC will certainly want RTE to come back in again to talk about those matters before it finalises its report. Uh, Another interesting development this week, we got some more detail on what the government thinking on this because Catherine Martin, the line minister here, revealed that New Era has advised that it says that RTE is going to be down 61 million over this year and next year in licence fee revenue. Uh, New Era is advising that 40 million could be provided in overall funding from the government. So that's where the 21 million figure in cutbacks comes from. Catherine Martin, very clear, she doesn't want a menu of options here. She wants RTE to make the decisions and simply get on with it, get on with the business of cost cutting. So I think difficult times ahead there. 
All right. And that's where we're going to leave you this Thursday. Thanks for watching or listening or whatever way you've joined us or are going to. Uh, we'll be back with you again next week. Until then, from all the week. Uh, oh, gosh, I nearly said the week in politics. No, that's Sunday. <laughs> this is Thursday. So it's your politics from all the your politics team here in Leinster House. Goodbye for now.